Before we get into today's chat, we'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which we record this podcast today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. As always, we pay our respects to their elders past and present. Often in women, our bodies actually may be responding to sexual stimuli, like our bodies may be turned on. But if you asked a woman, oh, how turned on are you feeling? They might rate that very low. So there's actually quite a bit of disconnect between how our bodies are responding and how we're feeling that pleasure. Maybe everyone has had sex while also like planning what to eat the next day (laughs) (laughs) or like every mom for sure (laughs) the thousand things that can go around in your brain like oh this is oh hang on what am I thinking oh what am I doing tomorrow like going in and out packing the school lunches in your head babe (laughs) (laughs) welcome to talking in common a podcast of all things lifestyle family relationships well-being kids and culture this is not a how-to but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by Hosted by myself, Kate Gadinsky, and my co-host, Sophie Panton. Take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. A big shout out and thank you to Still Beauty. Explore stillness through movement and find the right massage for you. We are back. Here we are. Still have a baby in my tummy, although by the time you are all listening to this, I reckon I will not have a baby in my tummy anymore. In fact, no, I'm pretty you confident. definitely won't. I'm pretty <laughs> confident do, I won't. <laughs> there will be some sort of issue. Good point, actually, pointing that out because in a discussion later with our guest, I think we talked about you still being pregnant, but the fact that we're pre-recording a little bit in advance because you are about to have this little babe and we're just trying to get a little bit organised to give you some little bit of grace in your early postpartum days so I'm not hounding you to record uh, another episode. <laughs> postpartum, here we come. Yeah. How are you feeling today? Shocking. Yeah. Oh, With a big got, smile what's on my going face. On? No, I don't actually feel shocking, I shouldn't say. I feel overall pretty good, but I have just had this insomnia. I've been up yeah, half the okay. night. Just I feel hungover and I haven't even had a drink. My God, yeah, isn't that feeling the worst? That's how I remember feeling like that same sort of feeling when you're up with a newborn. You feel like you've been on a bender for two weeks every day. But like at least you're up doing something. I'm just lying there uncomfortable and needing to wean. Like a whale. Eating lollies. Eating lollies. Oh, my God. talking to Kate on the phone last night. She's yelling out to her husband, babe, babe, where are the lollies? (laughs) I'm so into lollies at the moment. Oh, they just so sugar good. fix at night time. Even just like old school party mix. Have you found that you've eaten more sugar during this pregnancy? Is that what it is? Or because mm. I've never really known you to love a lolly so much. I know your hubby does, but oh, he's such a sweet tooth. I'm generally mm. more savory person. Like I would always mm. choose like a second savory course over dessert. Mm. But I do have. A real sweet tooth, this pregnancy, mm. and a carb tooth. Is that even a word? I think everyone has it a carb now. tooth during pregnancy. Yeah. Actually, let's be honest, I have a carb tooth all the time. Yeah, me too. I could eat like pizza, pasta, bread. Mm, I've been making my own bread lately. and Martha Stewart ate your heart out. Well, our girlfriend that is all into whole food cooking is doing these little workshops at the moment and I went and did one with her and she taught this great recipe on how to make a really easy like no need or one need sourdough loaf and it actually is really easy. It's awesome. You should share with everybody the recipe. 
Mm. Make a little video. You can show us how to make some bread. Oh, look, I'm no expert. I expect it delivered every other day. Well, do you know what you say that? I mean, I better like, this is giving myself some accountability here, but I literally was just thinking on my drive home before of like the things that I can make you when you have your baby. And along with the sourdough bread, she showed us how to make sourdough crumpets. Oh, I love and, a crumpet. Yeah, and I know you like crumpets and Aiden was baking sourdough crumpets during lockdown. So between mm. him and my new skills, like they turn out quite well. And that's you what might- I was thinking. I was like, oh, I'll bring you over some warm, freshly made oh. sourdough crumpets. My God, I am Martha Stewart. Oh, that sounds so good. I'm totally mm. holding you accountable to that. Yeah. And actually, I just had a thought that I'm not really liking. Between you and Aiden, you might ditch the podcast and you guys might open a bakery or something. Yeah. Well, now that we've had a sea change, we moved house not that long ago and um, we just can't stop talking about different ideas of what we're going to do with our future, mm. you know? Like we've so moved exciting. out of the city to the coast and with that sort of shift comes a lot of lifestyle changes and his work suddenly is less desirable and less inviting. He's got to commute to the city at the moment. So that's a bit of a drainer. So yeah, we're like, what can we do? (gasps) Well, during COVID, I was like, you should sell these sourdough crumpets. They're freaking amazing. And you don't really see crumpets around a lot, like good sourdough ones, you know? You guys dropped me off some bread actually during the COVID lockdown. Safely, Mm. I'll add, you left it at the front gate. (laughs) It was like right in the thick when everyone, you know, thick of COVID when everyone Mm. was literally... Yeah, freaking out, freaking out. <laughs> and making beautifully bread. fresh baked loaves yeah. of bread yeah oh, i so know it was cool. amazing not complaining we probably actually have that in common today going back a step is lollies because you love lollies i used to oh had a change have we well i've just shifted from the lollies to a more mature type of sweet palette you know Organic, more into like chocolate or something oh look i'd love to say yes but no just like more chocolate Mm. than lollies but I loved lollies when I was younger and like you were saying the other day a sour worm oh yum how fucking good a sour worm <laughs> oh, good. Oh. oh actually I haven't had any of them this pregnancy I might have to get some after this good yeah. reminder I don't need any more sugar let's stop actually the one thing that I took into the hospital was a bag of lollies and like we- I never buy a bag of lollies it's just not something but I was like maybe during birth you know I just need a bit of energy a bit of sugar but it was quite funny like as soon as we got into the hospital Aiden was sort of like sorting out the bags and unpacking things and he kept trying to shove these lollies in my face <laughs> when I was like having full contractions he's like come on here you go you might want some do you want a lolly do you want a lolly I was like get them away from me I don't ever want to see a lolly again <laughs> yes yeah. we actually do have some lollies ready to go Still yeah. haven't fully packed my bag, but um, I have I have given it a good go. So I've started it at least. Been good. talking about this for bloody weeks. Anyway, yeah. moving yeah. on. Enough. Moving on. We've got a sexy episode today. We're going to talk about sex again. We're feeling about aroused. What a that dorky word to use. We're aroused. feeling a bit, you know, excited after this chat. After we had the chat with this guest. Yeah, I think so. Like, do you know what? Like, I mean, I've been feeling a little bit excited most of this pregnancy, to be honest. Yes, girl. Although now I'm quite heavy and quite uncomfortable, you know, throws a few more challenges in there. Yeah, it's a bit harder. (laughs) I was feeling really good after this chat and we have had a sexologist on before, but our lovely guest today is a psychologist and a sex therapist. So it was great to chat to her. We got some awesome insight into not just sex, but relationships, relationships. and connection and yeah, communication and sexuality, desire and all of those things in a more holistic sense, which was cool because of the certain practices that 
our guest, Emma St. John, psychologist and sex therapist, shared with us. Before we talk more about her, I want to ask you, because we have been talking a lot about, well, focusing this season a lot on well-being. Mm. Do you find that, I guess, sex is a big part of your... Like is sex part of my, under my well-being umbrella? Yeah. I think like as I'm getting older and getting more mature and, you know, a mother and all of those sorts of things now, I'm in a committed relationship. Yes, now it is. I wouldn't have looked at it like that a few years ago. Mm. You know, now that I'm probably, yeah, just a bit more mature, a bit more in tune with my body, a bit more aware of, you know, my personal needs and my partner's needs, I do understand that experiencing that sort of pleasure can do so much for you outside of just feeling the pleasure in the moment of having sex. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think it's also really important to have that connection with your partner as well, which in turn results in a deeper, healthier relationship, which results in better well-being. What about you? Yeah, I think so. I think um, probably pretty similar to you, like overall, maybe not even just talking about sex. Like, yes, I think sex is an important part for me and for my relationship, but just like intimacy and connection. And I think, you know, what we sort of figured out when we spoke to Aaliyah last season was that it's so much more than just sex. You know, intimacy is not just about having sex. It's about spending that good quality, like wholesome, connected Mm. time with your partner, which Mm. can be tricky when you have young kids and all of that. But, you know, my husband and I, we're both very affectionate people. So I think for us, it is important for our relationship. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, like everyone has different physical connections with their partners. Like some people might be really into having a lot of sex, but not really physically like open to physical touch in public or, you know, yeah, they might not be that affection affection or they might not be that, yeah, touchy-feely or cuddly, but they might be really into sex or the opposite, you know, really cuddly and love to kiss and cuddle, but not that into sex. Like there's so many different variations of what sex and intimacy and physical touch and physical attraction and all of that sort of stuff comes into it. But yes, we did do an episode with a sexologist last season. And the reason why we thought it would be good to do another one sort of based around this topic is because we had a lot of interest in it. No surprise. Everyone wants to get in on the kink. I know people love talking about sex. <laughs> yeah, and I think just as women, like and, you know, and we talk about obviously motherhood and kids so much, and our audience are all mothers and and mothers to be and expectant mothers, all of that sort of thing. Sex changes a lot in this phase of our lives, so yeah. not everyone has like the best friend to talk about it or the mum to talk about it or whatever. So we're going to be your best friends for the day and share as much as we can and get as much as we can from Emma. So let's get into it. Okay. So as mentioned before, we do have a bit of a focus on well-being this season. So we were particularly interested when Emma contacted us. She offers mindfulness-based treatments for women in particular with low desire and low sexual arousal, which we thought sounded quite interesting. And we really loved hearing her perspective on this. Emma's a psychologist and a sex therapist who believes that 
mental and emotional health significantly impacts our intimate lives and vice versa. She offers insight into sexual well-being. She addresses sexual functioning concerns and guides individuals and couples into more pleasurable intimate connections. And through her work, she merges the fields of psychology and sexuality to foster a really nice holistic approach. So we chatted in depth about the relationship changes and transition we go through when we have kids and how we can communicate with our partners more openly and confidently about everything but you know also with a focus on intimacy and of course sex we cannot wait for you guys to hear this one I I honestly think you're gonna love it here she is Emma a big warm welcome to Talking in Common thank you so much for joining us today Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We'd really like to focus today's conversation, I guess, around parenthood and pregnancy, postpartum. That's where Soph and I are sort of at in our lives and that's where most of our listeners um, seem to be at. But first, can you sort of start by sharing with us, I guess, a little bit about you Mm -hmm. and who you are and what you do? Yes, of course. So I am a psychologist and a sex therapist and I work in private practice in Sydney, but I see clients individually and I guess in relationships and in couples as well. And I have a special interest in sex therapy. So helping my clients with a range of intimacy issues. So for some people that can look like low desire or difficulties reaching orgasm, for other people that can look like erectile concerns or ejaculatory concerns. And for some other people as well, it can be unpacking histories of past sexual trauma or adjusting to sex after big life events. So pregnancy, postpartum, having kids is probably one of the the biggest life events that people can go through and has really significant impacts on people's sexual functioning and desire. So I think it's a, a nice intersection of what I'm really interested in, what you two are both experts by experience and also by having lots of conversations about these things. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. And I think we're, you know, we've both experienced and continue to experience how life-changing parenthood is and how much complexity it brings to your relationship, which no one really necessarily mentions to you before you have a baby, you know, and, and why would they? Everyone's experiences are so different, but, you know, we're particularly interested in talking to you about that today, that sort of, you know, shift and the the forever work in progress with your relationship and the sexual desire and sexual connection and intimacy comes so much into play when you're facing new challenges with your relationship. But it'd be great to know first off, what are the most common things that your clients come to you about? Mm. My number one thing that I see in practice is low desire. So people who used to perhaps have a high sexual desire, whatever that means, or experience a lot of yearning and passion and sexual desire in their relationships or with themselves, and then over time or sometimes suddenly that has had a significant drop. And so I'm not necessarily talking about people who have always had a a lower desire end and that's okay for them or people who might identify as having no sexual desire, so like an asexual kind of orientation. These are people who used to desire or want to desire more, so they desire to desire, but that they haven't at the moment, and that can be really distressing both individually and in relationships. So that's probably number one across sexes, genders, orientations. So can we go into sexual desire a little bit deeper and just talk Mm -hmm. about what we mean when we say desire? Because I feel like Mm. there might be a little bit of confusion around this 
sort of term in general. I know it's such a good point because it feels like it should be such a strong part of our understanding of our own sexuality, but it's kind of a missing piece. So when I talk about sexual desire, I mean the wanting of sex. So for some people that might be experienced as like a physical yearning or an urge to engage in some kind of sexual activity, but for other people, it's much more subtle, can feel almost like a wish or a change in emotional state, or just thinking about the reasons why someone might want to start having sex. Mm. So desire is actually kind of distinct from arousal. So when I talk about Mm. sexual arousal, I talk about actually the physical sensations of pleasure. So for people involved, that might, you know, be a a feeling of wetness or warmth or heat or throbbing or people with penises, it might be like getting an erection and things like that. And when we have the wanting for sex and then the arousal for sex, then that's when we think of people might just start experiencing sexual pleasure, which is when those feelings start to feel good and we interpret Mm. them as wanted and desirable. So we kind of want all three to be happening, hopefully at the same time, a yearning for sex, some kind of sexual arousal. And then when those two things combine and it feels good, that's what I mean by sexual pleasure. Hopefully Mm -hmm. it's magic then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, all right, great. So you've explained that. That's a really good insight, I think, into desire because as Soph said, I do it as well, often think of it as more oh, just a sexual thing, like a sexual desire, mm. but it means I think a bit more than that. Let's start with pregnancy first. Mm-hmm. So I know often, you know, during pregnancy, all our hormones are changing, your body's changing, you feel incredibly different. Yeah. And some people have a real urge for sex during this time. Have you told Emma that you're very pregnant at the <laughs> I, moment? I, have actually, I, think, I think I did say to Emma, yeah, I'm about 30, 38 weeks pregnant. Yeah. And then others, I think, really struggle during this time and the male and the female can find it really hard to, you know, connect during this time sexually. So I guess what are some ways that we can kind of maintain, you know, that sexual intimate connection during pregnancy? You're so right. It is so variable. Some people will experience their highest ever amount of sexual arousal and some people experience that it (laughs) drops completely to zero. Are you smirking, Kate? Sorry, I just laughed. (laughs) Because this pregnancy I've found that I've wanted sex quite a lot. (laughs) Sorry, that's oversharing now. Let's go back. But it's different for everyone and every pregnancy is different. Sorry to interrupt you, Emma. Thank oh, you, there's so. no such thing as oversharing in sex therapy. <laughs> Thank you. It's very true. I feel like I overshare way too much and then Kate will be like, oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> and it's it can be really unpredictable and you might have mm. noticed that it even shifts from pregnancy to pregnancy. So even past experiences of what it was like can shift or across from time. So it can be quite unpredictable. So the first thing is then to kind of expect the unexpected, to have no real expectations of what our level of sexual desire will be like. Because often when we put our expectations really high and then we experience something different, then that level of disappointment can be quite disheartening. But I think it's important to talk about then the different kinds of sexual desire. I think there's been Mm. a really great movement in the last couple of years to discuss that spontaneous desire. So the kind of desire where you, it seems like out of the blue, you want to have sex or you see your partner or something sexual and you get this really strong sexual urge that can be present, but more often than not, and especially with women or people with vulvas, then there's a responsive sexual desire. So once we start to experience pleasure, once we kind of get in the mood a little bit and we feel safe and connected to our partner or ourselves, then actually our desire for sex can emerge in response Mm. to sexual stimuli. 
And so for people who've experienced a significant drop in that level of spontaneous desire with pregnancy, which is pretty normal, Mm. then they may find it more helpful to tune into the responsive desire and trust that their desire has not gone away. It might just need a little bit more cultivating. There's such a big misunderstanding for what you're talking about, like where this desire comes from, particularly for women, I think. Let's go into a little bit of sort of those early postpartum years or, you know, months because it's a particularly complex time. Mm. It can be very challenging. If it's your first child, it can be a completely new experience. As a female, your body goes through a lot. So we'd love to know a little bit from you about embracing our intimacy or our sexuality during this time. Yes. So my first point is that it's okay if sexuality is not a part of this time, especially in the first couple of months. It's an incredible adjustment for our whole family system. And mm. women and mothers, parents as a whole, they have so many pressures on themselves at this time. So the mm. last thing that I want to do as a sex therapist is come in and add additional pressure. Like mm. in addition to all of doing these things that you've never done before, you also need to be having sex in the ways that you always were. So mm. You certainly don't. (laughs) Seasons of sexuality with our partners, with ourselves, they come and they go, they shift and change over time. And the immediate postpartum period is one that most people consider to be not a very sexual season. And that's okay. But what I would encourage people to say is even if you can't or don't want to be sexual, are there ways that you can still remain intimate and sensual with your partner? Mm. So a lot of the time when we're talking about our romantic partners, then previous to the birth, there might've been lots of cuddling and kissing and touching, or even just being naked together. And then all of a sudden you have this little bundle of joy and it's very common for parents to just kind of give all of that sensual energy. And by sensual, I mean really connected to the senses. So touch, taste, smell, and just give it all to the baby. And that's what we should be doing on a level, right? Our babies Mm. crave so much of that touch from us. But then all of that that we used to give to our partners is just being directed elsewhere. So I would suggest is, is there ways that we can find that the two partners or whatever kind of relationship there is to stay at least centrally connected to each other, even scheduling in some time for a kiss every day or hugging on the couch, clothed or not for a little bit every day, Mm. a bath together once a week, just so that there maintains that intimate connection between the two of you of which desire can then flourish. It's quite hard not to focus on a tiny baby. So it's got a little baby, one-year-old, so she would be more in the thick of that than me at the moment when you constantly have like a baby on you or a toddler on you or a child Mm. wanting something from you. It's quite hard to then want to feel touched by anyone else. (laughs) What are some tips or guidance with that sort of feeling? So I feel like that's quite common. Is it better just to have a conversation with your partner and just say, I actually just don't want to be I'm not in the mood for physical touch or, you know, what's, how do women get through that experience? I think the communication around why it is the case is so important. You know, hearing a comment like, I don't want to be touched out of the blue might feel a little bit rejecting or Mm. a bit confusing to a partner, but a conversation like, Hey, have you noticed that all day I have these little humans hanging off me and I feel more like my body is just existing to serve them than it is Mm. to feel pleasure. So Mm. when you come and touch me at the end of the day, although, you know, I love you and I love our touch, it feels like another person asking something from me when I actually just need some space. That's going to be interpreted hopefully quite differently. Yeah. Yeah. 
What I always suggest to my clients is to have a buffer zone between trying to be in mum mode and being in our own bodies and connecting to our partner. And mm. that's really, really difficult, right? So it's not going to be a weekend away, <laughs> probably most of the time. It might be a shower. It might be 15 minutes in the room watching reality TV with the door shut where you can just be by yourself. Having just that little, little period between mum mode and partner mode to be alone, to not mm. be touched. Often bathing, showering can be something a part of that to kind of rinse and cleanse that feeling of touch has been helpful for some people that I've worked with. Yeah, mm. it's actually a really good suggestion. It's interesting, like the whole postpartum phase. Like Kate said, I had a baby a year ago. She's about to have another baby. A lot of our friends all have little babies, all that sort of thing. And I was talking to a girlfriend recently, like obviously sex comes up a lot in conversations with Mm. your close friends and that sort of thing, which is great. You know, I'm very grateful that I have friendships that I can talk about that sort of thing. And I know that not everybody does. But my friend said, we were talking about, you know, sex one day and she said, you know, it takes me about a year to get Mm. back to feeling like myself again. And she's like, and I told my husband that, you know, it takes about a year. And I thought, oh, that's actually a really good way of communicating to him. Like, it doesn't mean we're not going to have sex for a whole year, Mm. but like, give me that grace of 12 months after I have my baby, just to be mom, just to be me, just to settle into it again. Um, And... Yeah, and I thought that that's great because everyone also has that conversation about like, you know, oh, my partner still wants to but I don't feel like it, I'm not in the mood or, you know, another thing with early postpartum is the discomfort of having sex after having like after giving birth, which I've experienced a little bit. And, again, only through talking with people have I realised that that's not necessarily normal. It's very typical but it it shouldn't have to be like that. So that's another thing I think that women struggle with not knowing a lot about, mm, like yeah. discomforts. And then I think then like anxiety comes into if you have discomfort, then you get a bit of like anxiety about having sex and, you know, it sort of spirals into a whole thing. Yeah, exactly right. Pain, just because it is common and does not mean that it's normal, mm. right? And I think women's pain, women's sexual pain is one of the most not talked about and kind of accepted in the medical community as a norm of all the kinds of pain when it absolutely shouldn't be. Doctors are doing a really big disservice to women, vulva owners, people who've had children when they say, you know, just grin and bear it. It's okay. I mean, I've had clients come to me and say that their doctors have said, just have a glass of wine before having sex. It'll be oh, less painful. Fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 So wrong. It's messed up. Mm, and so you're clearly not having sex just for you, you're having it for someone else, really, exactly if you're going to grin right. and bear it, right? And that's like teaching people that you need to do that, like get over yourself to yeah. please someone else. Or- yeah. It's sending all the wrong messages. It's sending messages that pain is something that we have to experience to get through and it's out of obligation and duty rather than pleasure. Mm. So my first thing is if you are experiencing pain during sex, go to a medical provider and if they give you a unsatisfactory answer, go to someone else, talk to your friends about who have they seen that has been a, a respectful and pleasure-focused clinician. Mm. And for many women, that's going to look like probably going to see a pelvic physiotherapist. Mm-hmm. These are specialist physios that are trained in the women's pelvic floor and they can do things that are helpful in loosening tightness around the pelvic floor, 
or if there's kind of concerns around scar tissue that may have happened, then there are even specific vulva dermatologists that can help with laser treatments and creams to help soften and soothe the skin of the vulva, which can be one of the biggest contributors to vulva pain during sex. So there are so many specialist commissions that I think people might just go to the GP and then that's the the end of their health journey. Yeah. Around the GP yeah. might not even recommend any of those specialists. You know, they'll just try yeah. and give you what they think is an answer or tell you how they think you should deal with it and then you're kind of back at square one. Yeah. Mm, they rarely do. My experience with my GP after my last birth was just the box ticking how's this tracking, how's that tracking, you know, the conversation then came up about because, you know, it's kind of that typical thing like at your six-week mark, at your six-week check, then you're good to go to have sex again. That's kind of this understanding that everyone has. The conversation with my GP was just around contraception, not about my sort of function or my Mm. sexual health or anything apart from just I'll have a look at your stitches, you should be fine now, have you thought about contraception? And I was like, oh. Shit. Do you want the breastfeeding pill or do you want to get pregnant again? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like far out. And that's what I love about that um, your friend's story saying like it's going to take me a year to feel good again because the messaging we see around expectations is really important and we've all been given that magical (laughs) six-week number but I actually don't know that many women on like the six-week dot were like, yes, sex time, right? But then every week that goes past that, we're like, oh, I was meant to have been doing it at week six. No, that's when for some people it was medically safe. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it was actually ever going to be pleasurable or enjoyable at week six. For some people, amazing, but mm. certainly not for the norm. It's quite yeah. nerve-wracking, I think, that first time you have sex after having a baby. Yes, totally. You're like, oh, God, like, is it going to hurt or is it going to be good? Yeah. And then there's the in-between too that you might desire it, you mm-hmm. know, but you are not feeling healed physically enough or, you know, there's like then the, the in-between too because it's also such a beautiful connected time in your relationship too. There's so much love. It's just a different type of love. So I think then there's that sort of in-between feeling too of like I love you and I'd like to but I don't feel comfortable to or, you know, I don't yeah. feel healed enough to or things like that. Oh, gosh, I feel like I need a break. Well, good timing because it's time for an ad break. Not that kind of break. I need like a proper break, you know, some time out just for me, some good R&R. One can only dream, my darling, but (laughs) I've got an idea. I'm going to get you some R&R in the form of a still beauty massage. Oh, my God, yes. So Still is a Melbourne-based massage service and they help people through all of life's little and not-so-little tensions. Not only are massages relaxing, but they also help reduce stress, unravel your body, promote circulation and release endorphins, leaving you glowing and happy. Now, does that sound like what you're after, Soph? That sounds like exactly what I'm after. Thank you very much. And in fact... This is also good for any mums or dads or anyone for that matter. This one's for you too because they're highly skilled massage therapists do home visit massages within the metro Melbourne area, which means you could sneak in a cheeky massage while your baby sleeps or get someone to watch the kids for an hour while you have an hour's break. I am actually all about having a massage at home because it means you can have the massage and then you can just chill Mm. depending on the time of the day and if your kids are awake or Mm. at home. 
but they actually have a permanent room in the beautiful little company space in Collingwood now. So if you do want to get out of the house for a beautiful experience, you can. And I actually got to do this recently for a pregnancy massage and I walked out of there in a blissful bubble. Mm, I was amazing. so relaxed. Oh, so good to hear. So all the booking details are on their website, www.stillbeauty.com.au forward slash booking. So do yourself a favor and book yourself or even a friend or your partner in. It's the best gift for a new mum or dad or anyone for that matter. So head to stillbeauty.com.au. I actually feel better even after that break, taking myself back to the blissful feeling of the massage, but I think we should get back to our chat. So what about the impact then of postpartum mental health? So if someone's, I guess, experiencing like postnatal depression, I guess what that what impact that sort of has on your sexual well-being and just your relationships in general? So a really core symptom of depression, and especially postnatal depression, is something called anhedonia, which means a lack of pleasure in pursuits or interests that used to be experienced as pleasurable. Mm. And sex is often one of the biggest things that falls into that category. So we might have a distant memory of enjoying sex, but in the moment, it's like the last thing that you could possibly want to do. And sometimes that can fall in the same category of wanting to go see friends or wanting to to exercise or do intellectual pursuits. Like we remember liking them, but at the moment it just feels so disconnected. So if you're experiencing this lack of drop of motivation for everything in your life, in addition to sex, that rings alarm bells for me that it's more than just kind of a normative drop in desire. And mm. to go see your GP, go see a mental health professional to get a screen for postnatal depression. Yeah. I would suggest treat the mood first. So do all the kinds of things that your mental health providers are suggesting to work on your mood. For some people that will look like antidepressant medication. For some people that looks like going to see a therapist and working on some behavioral strategies. More often than not, it just looks like giving yourself a whole lot of support, um, Mm. whatever those support systems need. And Mm. then keep an eye on what happens to your desire after that. Often it goes up as our mood, our sleep and our stress levels get better. Mm. Speaking about treatments, I know uh, you've mentioned that you're in a program that you're involved in where you adapt mindfulness-based techniques. I think it's particularly for women with low desire and sexual arousal. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yes, definitely. So my program is based off the really pioneering research of a clinician out of Canada. Her name's Dr. Laurie Brotto. And she has done an amazing breadth of research on how we can adapt mindfulness practices for a range of sexual dysfunctions. But desire Mm -hmm. has been the one that's really jumped out of the research as being one of the most effective treatments that we have for for low desire. Mm -hmm. And it's based on the hypothesis that one of the biggest problems that gets in the way of feeling desire and feeling arousal is when our mind isn't connected Mm. to our body. So, you know, we talked about the difference between arousal and pleasure. Mm -hmm. Often in women, our bodies actually may be responding to sexual stimuli, like our bodies may be turned on. But if you asked a woman, oh, how turned on are you feeling? They might rate that very low. Mm -hmm. So there's actually quite a bit of disconnect between how our bodies are responding and how we're feeling that pleasure. Mm -hmm. which makes sense. I think maybe everyone has had sex while also like planning 
what to eat the next day <laughs> <laughs> or like thinking oh, every mom for sure yeah. <laughs> the thousand things that can go around in your brain like oh this is really, oh hang on what am I thinking oh what am I doing tomorrow like going in and out <laughs> packing the school oh. lunches in your head babe <laughs> Exactly right. So there's that disconnect of if our mind is not completely centered in the present moment, focusing on the sensations, then the disconnect between arousal and pleasure can grow and grow. And then people kind of get into a pattern where because sex wasn't pleasurable last time, then zoning out during sex and getting it over as soon as possible becomes a bit of a norm. And Mm. we basically generally never crave things that we don't like. And so if we're having more and more unsatisfactory sex, then our desire for sex will go down even more. Mm. So we hope that mindfulness brings back this sense of desire by cultivating present moment awareness and helping people enjoy and attune to their sexual sensations again. Mm. So we're talking like meditation type work? Yeah. 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 So the program that I run is eight weeks and actually the first four weeks of the program, we're getting people to do mindfulness exercises that actually aren't related to sex or sexuality. They're kind of perhaps mindfulness exercises that you might run during a stress reduction course or a a pain related course. So we're doing mindful body scans and helping women practice mindful eating or mindful movement as they're unpacking the dishwasher to Mm. practice paying attention to the present moment before we then start to introduce, say, getting women to do a little bit of self-pleasure for a couple Mm. of minutes and then to pause and then do mindfulness and then to focus in on those sensations of pleasure. Kate and I were talking a little bit about how we see sex fitting into our overall health and well-being, mm-hmm. and I think both of us agreed that it is a big part of it for us. So I love this concept of, you know, practising mindfulness in terms of sex. You know? Yeah, and when you ask people to recall their best pleasurable experiences from the past, they often say, like, I just felt so lost in the moment. I lost track of time. I didn't even know where I was. It was just me and them. Mm. And then when you ask them to recall their kind of most dissatisfying sexual experiences, they'll say things like, oh, it was robotic. I was going through the motions. Mm. I just was there, but I really wasn't into it. And so when people are having amazing sex, it is mindful sex. Mm. Um, So we just need to help people have the scaffold to do that in a world where we're actually incentivized to multitask, to think about things a hundred times, you know, a hundred steps into the future. Mm. And parenting is one of the most difficult ways (laughs) to practice mindfulness in. So we need training Mm. in it. I think when you get that opportunity, which again is obviously quite rare when you have young kids, but to have that one-on-one time, but I guess to be having foreplay, but not necessarily Mm. in like a sexual sense, you know, spending that time together, being intimate, having conversations that are uninterrupted, going out for a nice meal together, or just spending, I guess, time together that's uninterrupted that can then lead into, I find really, really great sex. And kind of makes sense because of what you just said. I guess you're more in the present moment together Mm. or even not together, but you're you're both kind of more in the present moment without so many distractions and you've had time to kind of, yeah, you've had time to, I guess, ease into it a bit. Mm. Emma, can you tell us a little bit about your perspectives on self-pleasure for women Mm. and what gains, you know, from a sort of a bigger picture health and wellbeing point of view? Yeah, definitely. Self-pleasure is such a useful part of a comprehensive health 
program, right? Like we're going to Pilates, like we're trying to eat our vegetables. Mm. I think self-pleasure should be something that we're all just trying to to fit in to look after ourselves where we can. Mm -hmm. It's also such a helpful predictor of people's experience during partnered sex because if we're able to know what makes us come alive, what makes us feel good in our bodies, where we like to be touched, how we like to be touched, that's really helpful to communicate to our partners. Mm. There's also a lot of hormonal benefits of having an orgasm. It helps us get to sleep better. It can generally lift our mood a little bit. And for many women, orgasms are much more likely to happen during self-pleasure, or at least in sexual experiences where we're focusing on clitoral stimulation rather than vaginal penetration. So if we can just up the instances of that that are happening, then people overall tend to estimate their sexual satisfaction as a little bit higher mm. than if they're having sexual experiences where they're not feeling that much pleasure and arousal. Mm. So I tend to not discriminate between partnered sex and solo sex. If you're experiencing joy and pleasure in those instances, that's what matters to me. Yeah. What's a really like simple way to start that? Because we did like a little Instagram poll last time mm. we had a sex conversation on the podcast and we found that the majority of women who answered about self-pleasure had said that they'd never tried it. Mm. And again, I think it's just one of those things that people think that it's inappropriate or for women or it's, yeah. you know, it's just still a bit of a grey area and a bit inappropriate, a bit taboo. How do we make ourselves feel confident to explore ourselves? Mm. I think it's also a part of the fact that many women aren't having these conversations with each other. I think boys have grown up in a locker room <laughs> talking about masturbating and I don't know, mm. you hear these stories about sharing CDs full of porn back in the day. Like <laughs> it's, it's like a, a really common part of their narrative that, you mm. know, this is what they do. And it's only yeah, perhaps right. recently that young women are having these conversations around, hey, are you doing this? Well, I am. I really like it. This is mm. what I use, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So opening up discussions, perhaps a bit of a vulnerable discussion with your friends about, are you guys doing this? I am. It feels mm. really good. can sometimes be one of those ways of breaking down the barriers. Mm -hmm. Also, people might like to experiment with using sex toys, so vibrators. There are so many beautiful brands out there now that are really focused on creating products that are pleasure focused or women focused and have come a long way in the sense of like the branding isn't as scary and intense as it used to be and so you can true. get it discreetly classier, set. Classier it's sex toys. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. It's very discreet now, no packaging on the outside of the box, that kind of thing. And there's also um, like sexual stimuli. So pornographic material or explicit material that is now actually much more focused on the kinds of narratives and sexual practices that women tend to enjoy more. Because if you just kind of go to the homepage of Pornhub, I don't know many people that would find that like really, really um, enticing perhaps. Certainly for lots of people, and that's amazing. Maybe but not if, if, you get, if you're giving it a go for the first time. <laughs> Maybe not a first time, no. So lots of people might enjoy instead reading like some erotic fiction where there's oh, a little yeah. bit of Good idea. imagination that can come into play. There's also just audio-based sex stories. So there's an app called Dipsy that kind of just you listen to a, almost like a podcast, but it gets pretty mm. not PG at the end. And so people can kind of pop that on and listen to it and that can feel quite sexually arousing rather than porn. But there's also now women-focused 
sex positive feminist porn. So there's websites like Erica Lust where it's female directed. It's all focused on female pleasure. And so actually doing a little bit more of a specific search for the kinds of things that people may find arousing in their own lives. There is content out there for it. Sex tech. More out there than what there used to be. Yes. It's It's a booming industry, which is wonderful because I think it opens up conversations. But I also want to emphasize you do not need to buy a thing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Women have been engaging in self-pleasure long before there was, you know, fancy brands to do it with. Mm. And really all we need is our own bodies some time. Mm. Uh, setting the right context. So setting yourself up for self-pleasure like you would for partnered sex that you would enjoy. Think about lighting, think about music, think about what you might do to prepare yourself to feel sexy for a date or something like that. And then to just gently start to explore your body Mm. from there and see what Mm. happens. Quite simple, isn't it? But so not simple at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. So let's go back into parenting a little mm-hmm. bit because it'd be great to get a little bit of bit of deeper understanding on like sort of the psychological factors that come into your relationship when you become parents. And obviously having a healthy sexual relationship is perhaps the result of where your relationship's at. And I was saying to Kate the other day that I heard this statistic, I think it might have been something Esther Perel queen of relationships had <laughs> talked about that it takes seven years to settle in to your role as a parent and seven mm. years is a long time and I think like you know I talk to a lot of my friends and we're all having very similar challenges with our relationship you know like every time you put a new child into the mix or there's constant transitions there's constant challenges and you've got to be forever sort of moving and if that communication isn't open with your partner it's very easy to kind of you know, fall apart. So what are your perspectives on that early phase of relationships? Mm. Yeah, it's incredibly hard. Mm. All the kind of research about the times where relationship satisfaction on the whole is at its lowest is in that kind of first seven years after young children period. So if you're finding it hard, it's really, really common. And the society that we live in where we're at the moment a lot of our attention is focused on the child, it's common for people to fall into child-focused marriages. And in a way that's rewarded, right? We're kind of told we should be doing everything for the kids. But it actually kind of wasn't like that until the last 50 years or so again. This narrative around that parents need to do everything for their kids, sacrifice the relationship for the kids, that's almost a new one societally. And there's lots of benefits that come from that. I think we're creating a generation of really attached, aware, emotionally attuned kids. But I think there's probably lots of parents that are feeling disconnected from each other because of that. So I'd think about what are the ways that the two of you used to connect to each other before you had kids and try and think about, are there ways that even, you know, once a month you could sit down, have that dinner date that you were talking about, but actually ban yourself from talking about the kids Mm. to try and meet each other again and again, to know what are the kinds of things that are on each other's minds, what's exciting each other, what's scaring each other at the moment. Because I think where things can start to fall down is when we assume that we know everything about our partner. So to try to meet them again and again. That's mm. such a good point, actually, because you do, right? when you've, you've known someone for a long time, you just assume that you kind of know everything or know what they're thinking or feeling. Mm. But often you don't at all, like it can be completely wrong. (laughs) And Um, you're both evolving. Yeah, you you change. And also, as you said, like sitting down having that time and not talking about the kids, that's a really good point because it's generally like the first thing 
you do like mm. I don't know like you you'll talk about them or something will come into your mind that you're trying to organize or that needs to be done or that happened or that you need to tell them so I think make that's a pretty good rule and I love that you sort of have shined a light on our generation of parents who are parenting in a very different way mm. to potentially past generations and our children you know we are a lot more attached we are a lot more in tune but the pressures as parents that come along with that type of parenting style and always wanting to do the right thing and change years of conditioning and chat you know prevent issues that maybe we have that we don't Mm. want our children to have like all of this plays so much into almost being a bit like you know absorbed in it all and not having any energy left just to be ourselves or to be in our old relationship that we used to love. Like I always say to my partner, I miss us, you know, yeah. if we're having a time where we're feeling mis- disconnected. Like I'm like, I really miss us. You know, I used to love the days that we would just like do random spontaneous things and laugh, just laugh at each other and, you know, have great times like that. But, yeah, we are so consumed in our early years of parenting. So it's – yeah. Um, it's nice to hear that perspective of it because it's true. I think we all put a lot of a pressure on ourselves and compare ourselves because there's so much online about how to be the best parent and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> no wonder so many women don't have the energy or time to have sex. <laughs> yeah, completely. And you're so right. I mean, so much of people's relationships used to be about spontaneity and freedom and then young children is about structure and routine literally the opposite and structure kind of creates freedom with young children you certainly can't have freedom without it but it also naturally quells that spontaneity Mm. and that desire that emerges so I sit with you in the complexity of this issue but I wonder what it would be like if it's hard to not talk about the kids to actually have some kind of prompts like you can download like lists of questions of open answered questions like um if we could go anywhere in the world right now where would we go or if we didn't have the kids and we could jump on a plane what would you want to do together to have a little bit of daydreaming and imagination about freedom within the constraints of okay well um the sitter's finishing at nine so we've got to get home that kind of Mm. thing Mm. yeah it's a nice idea (laughs) let's just dream for a minute (laughs) (laughs) can you share with us a little bit more about the psychological factors behind low desire in women in particular Mm -hmm. yes yeah so it's probably chronic stress is a really big player so in addition to big traumatic things that are happening every day. Women are also under a significant amount of cognitive load. We're often balancing careers and being partners and looking after parents and being parents ourselves. And so just having that constant to-do list in our mind all the time can really create that disconnect between arousal and pleasure that we talked about. Um, Also, there's significant hormonal factors that are happening even in people that aren't parents, but just across the menstrual cycle. We've Mm. all experienced those times around ovulation that we might experience a little bit of a peak in desire and other times that it's gone down. Body image is also a really important factor here. So experiencing uh, confidence in our bodies is a really strong predictor in sexual arousal and satisfaction. And actually mm. having low body image is one of the most significant predictors across the lifespan of experiencing mm. sexual dysfunction. So pain, low pleasure, anorgasmia, all those kinds of things. And all those things, stress, chronic to-do listing, body image changes, hormones, they all cluster around this perinatal period, mm. which is why it can be such a, a a challenging time for many women. 
And what about like the list of things for men with low desire? Like how does it compare? Why is it always the story that men always want to have sex more than Mm. women? Do men just not have as many of those factors? They certainly do. So low desire is also the biggest sexual concern reported by men. I think it is the least talked about. Um, okay. because at least with erectile problems, there's Viagra, mm. that kind of, mm. and Cialis that have done, you know, pretty amazing innovations in the medical side of the arousal problem for men, but desire concerns really just are not talked about. And it is because of all of those beliefs that I think a lot of us hold, which is men always want to have sex. Men should be up and ready and motivated to be having sex. Men should have sex more than women. And so what I tend to see is that my male clients who are experiencing low desire also hold all of the extra shame and disappointment around, I don't get it. I'm meant to be the higher desire partner Mm. in my relationship. So I think those beliefs around male sexuality and needing to perform can often dial up men's distress when they experience low desire. All right. So when we're talking about our, back to our relationships for a minute, Mm -hmm. how do we talk about sexual concerns, even just intimacy and sex in general with our partners? What's Mm. a good way of, you know, because there's one side of it is just, communication, but mm-hmm. there's the second part of it is how you deliver that communication. Yes. It's not taken as a criticism or mm. so mm. how do we do it? That's yeah. that's gonna be a productive conversation. Yes. So do it clothed, <laughs> do it not <laughs> before or after sex or any, or any okay, kind yeah. of sexual start. <laughs> Don't do it in the bedroom. <laughs> we want as much as possible maximise the chance that it's not going to be perceived as immediate feedback about something that that person has done in the mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. So uh, having it out of the sexual context can be helpful. I mean, I conversation like that is vulnerable enough. We don't need to be naked while we're doing it, right? Mm, mm -hmm. Um, And then I tend to suggest that people talk about the positive need rather than criticism. So rather than I don't like it when you do that, talk about what I would really like is if we did this. Mm. Um, People are less likely to take things as a criticism when we're talking about something with love, what would light me up, what would make me feel so loved, mm-hmm. rather than I hate it when you do this or when you touch me, it feels like this, X, Y, Z. So to think about underneath every criticism, there's actually a yearning for something that we want, what we need, and within that is a, a way that our partner can really shine for us. So rather than going criticism first, think of what's the need underneath? And mm. how might I maximize my chances of getting that by angling that first? Yeah. yeah. And what about for people who don't even have that type of openness mm. with their partner? How do you even just start the sex conversation? Then maybe it would be helpful to start talking to your partner about sex in a way that doesn't involve sex between the two of you. Like, mm-hmm. um, oh, I listened to a podcast the other day and they were talking about this. What are mm-hmm. your thoughts on that? Or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh, you know, in this TV show we watched and they did this, did did that turn you on? What are your thoughts? Like decenter it away from the two of you and kind of involve a, <laughs> a third-party media. Send them this podcast, mm-hmm. ask them what they thought, right, to start the conversation in that way. Yeah. Or you could start just talking about sex more generally, like, oh, what kind of messages were you given by your parents growing up about sex? Mm-hmm. What were your first sexual experiences like when you were growing up? To burst that bubble about talking about sex, that it isn't just the sex between the two of you to start yeah. with. 
great points. But it is hard. Sometimes the first conversation that people are having about sex with each other is on the couch in front of me. So if you are noticing that it's pretty impossible for the two of you to sit down and have a conversation about sex, that's where couples therapists and sex therapists come in, where experts are getting you to turn towards each other and have hard conversations. So if you're noticing that it's hard, you can see someone else. I feel like that would be quite daunting for a lot of people to go and see a sex therapist. Mm. I'm sure it's incredibly common, but... If it's not something you've ever done before, yeah might be like, what's this guy? Gonna, what am I going to teach us? <laughs> but I mean, seeing, seeing any type of therapist is confronting mm. for the first time. Yes. Maybe definitely. the second and third and fourth. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, thank you so much for your time today. Like I've still got a million questions buzzing around my head, but I'm very conscious that you're busy and you've got, you know, things Good to do. Good appointment, Soph. Yeah, yeah. Good point. <laughs> we can take it offline. But yeah, we really have loved having this conversation with you today like we've talked about romantic relationships are so complex and forever changing and you know it's something that Kate and I and our friends talk about how complex these issues are within relationships with once you put kids in the mix so appreciate all your perspectives and everything you've shared with us today so thank Thank you for joining us thank Thank you so so much Emma thank you That's it for today. Make sure you head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes, hit subscribe on your podcast app and follow us on Instagram at Talking In Common or you can check out our Facebook page which is also Talking In Common. Have a lovely day and as always, thanks for listening.